Welcome to the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. This is the place where we help young entrepreneurs and professionals to make, keep, and grow wealth that you can enjoy now and for years to come. I'm your host, Jack Gibson, a serial entrepreneur, founder of multiple seven and eight figure businesses and wealth building strategist. Each week, I'm gonna share my tips, resources, and secrets to help you create a plan and build the life you've dreamed of. Welcome back to Indestructible Wealth. And today we're going to do part two of looking back and then looking forward into 2023. This past week has been extremely busy for me, you guys. Um, I'm so like proud of myself just for getting this podcast in. I've shot over 120 short form videos. And when I said on a previous podcast that I'm doubling down on my marketing, I was serious. And so that's what I think that if you're in business and you want to get your product or your service out to more people this year, you've got to be doubling down on your marketing, getting more aggressive. So that's exactly what I'm doing to aggressively grow my income, which is the most valuable asset that I possibly have. So last week we talked about breakthroughs that aren't hitting the mainstream media and was actually chatting with a 28 year old successful teacher turned female entrepreneur this past week. And I asked her if she'd seen anything about the nuclear fusion breakthrough, because we were talking about how negative the headlines are in the media, right? One of the biggest breakthroughs to advance the human race, and she hadn't even heard about it. I mean, it's not her fault. It barely made headlines anywhere. And it's really our fault because as humans, we embrace negativity. So that's what the media companies feed us. But today... I want to share some additional optimism and positivity with you about my predictions in the big three for 2023, real estate, stocks, and crypto. But before we do that, we need to have an idea of what the Fed is going to do with interest rates, because in the short term, what happens with the Fed will move the markets one way or another. Over the long term, productivity, growing earnings and profits, and technological innovation will always prevail. So let's talk about what's the Fed going to do. As you all know, by now, the Fed has been hiking rates faster and higher than at any other time in recent history. And this caused all asset classes to focus on what the Fed said and did. And it's what made things like Bitcoin and the S&P 500 drop and be real correlated, meaning they move together, which is very abnormal. So the positive here is that rate hikes are slowing. In the December announcement, they slowed down their rate hike percentage. But more importantly, it's getting closer to what they call the terminal rate, which is to say that's the rate at which they will stop hiking. So right now, there's a FedWatch tool that's forecasting the terminal rate to be reached in either February or March of 2023. The rate is expected to be between 475 to 5%. Now, that's a good sign because because as rate hikes in 2023 will be less of a talking point than what we saw in 2022, but more importantly, they're predicting that in the second half of 2023, rates will start to fall. And that will be a boom for the markets. And I've reached very similar conclusions. The key point is that whether the Fed stops hiking rates or even cuts rates, this is going to be favorable for both stocks, equities, and digital asset markets, and real estate. And I would argue out of all three for digital assets in particular. What's most important to understand is that ultimately it won't be the Fed that solves the inflation problem. Technology does. So think of it this way. So how, does, how does technology solve inflation? 
what were flat screen TVs going for a couple decades ago? I think $10,000, $12,000. I know plasma TVs were going for $30,000 when they first came out. And now every low income rental house that I've been in or seen pictures of has a flat screen TV that they purchased for what? Couple hundred bucks? As technology continues to advance, it becomes increasingly apparent that all of us are benefiting from the dropping costs and the prices of products. And this is because technological advances help companies to produce more goods at a faster rate, and that results in lower production costs. And as technology improves, businesses are able to become more efficient when it comes to their operations by automating processes and utilizing new tools. I just mentioned on last week's episode how I'm using artificial intelligence to help me to produce more content, actually three to five times as much content. So if I'm more productive and you become more productive because you have access to the same tools, all of these factors will result in lower prices for consumers, which leads to greater economic growth and reduced inflation. So where is the real estate market headed? Well, we know that the Fed has raised rates more than 14 times the starting basis point, which is insane. And these aggressive interest rate hikes have been terrible for sellers recently. Sellers who are getting multiple offers over asking price, I think that's probably a thing of the past. Save there are select markets and select pockets within those markets that are still seeing that. But what this is showing, because the market really should have crashed by a much more significant amount than it did, you guys. I mean, you talk about the aggressive rates, 14 times the basis point has been raised. That's insane, right? So it shows the strength of the market. You would think that, you know, we would have crashed, but there's a severe housing shortage that dates back to the 2008 crisis. New builds almost froze for several years. So that created the supply shock that we still have today. So to me, this is the best of times to be an investor. When they say that it's a seller's market, obviously the advantage goes to anyone selling their home, right? In 2021, I put a rental home on the market in Arizona. It was a simple three-bed C-class property. And within three days, I had 12 offers over asking price. It eventually got bid up from the 210K asking price to over 230K. Now, there was absolutely nothing special about this property and no rational reason for it to sell for 230K. But now we're in a buyer's market. In a buyer's market, the advantage goes to, yes, you got it right, the buyer. Now, I've owned a real estate investment company since 2016, and until 2020, everything was going very well. We could find lots of deals, especially distressed property that needed construction work to bring it to rental standards. And my partner and I did well with what's called a forced equity strategy. So that means that when we bought the property, we forced the value up quickly by making improvements, you know, change the siding, paint the house, do the landscaping, put a new roof on, you know, put some new bedrooms in, you know, all kinds of things, right? You can do. Well, that way we didn't have to wait around for natural market appreciation. We forced it up ourselves. But in 2020, that all changed. The massive Fed money printing caused real estate to go through the roof. And although that was great for any properties that we had held, and we sold a lot of them in that time, it was terrible for any new acquisitions. So we did very few deals. And 
I started Indestructible Wealth because I was kind of bored with that business. There wasn't really much to do. And that was two years ago. And mainly we focused on selling off our holdings, right? To take advantage of that bubble. But now we are back on a buying spree. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, it's time to get in the game. We're finding really incredible deals right now. We're not competing with other people. We're not bidding up properties 20 or 30 or 50K over asking price. It's time to get in the game. So where are stocks headed? You know, as I mentioned last week, the U.S. bond returns versus U.S. stock returns showed us a year like any other. So to oversimplify, the years that are good years are where both bond and stock performance are positive. And years where bonds move lower than stocks are very bad. And there have only been three very bad years, 1931, 1969, and 2022. Wow, that puts it into perspective how bad it was. We might even argue that 1969 wasn't that bad at all, considering the drawdowns were in the single digits for both stocks and bonds. 1931 speaks for itself. That was the time of the Great Depression. And the banking sector collapsed, as did the stock market. Unemployment skyrocketed, and the Federal Reserve began hiking interest rates to stabilize the U.S. dollar. Those were very different times. And the stock market crash affected a limited number of people. It was only about 16% of the population had any exposure to the stock market at that time. But clearly, that's not 2022. Today, that number's around 58% in the U.S., and in households earning 100000 or more, the percentage jumps to 89%. Historically, the S&P 500 has always moved higher in the one-year period following every midterm election over the last 80 years. It's a perfect record, and I have no reason to believe 2023 will be any different. But we have a new reality. Due to the money printing of the last two years and the record levels of debt to gross domestic product, to gross domestic product is how much our economy does and sells in a year. We've crossed the Rubicon. <laughs> so we should assume that record level deficits will continue to be run for at least the next two years, making the debt burden even worse. And we need to probably be prepared for a new reality that 2% target for inflation is probably not going to happen. I think it won't be long before 4% inflation target will be our new reality. So the real reason that the stock market's dropped is because institutional capital will flow out of stocks as it looks for safety when markets are in turmoil, when a Fed is aggressively raising rates. They know that that's going to cause equity markets to drop. So when there's far more sellers than buyers, asset prices naturally drop and they have dropped to irrational levels. There's been too much fear in the market and too much economic political, monetary policy uncertainty, which is institutional capital. Those are the big dogs. Those are the guys that move the markets. They have not had the confidence to return back into growth equities, but it will not last long. Inflation is clearly slowing and the housing market has rolled over and even lumber prices have returned to pre-pandemic levels. We're not far from the Fed pausing its rate hikes which I think from everybody that I've studied is most likely by the March 2023 meeting. But what's coming in growth stocks is unlike anything that we'll ever see. The reality is 
that despite the terrible conditions that we saw in 2022, venture capital, private equity investment into technology, all powered ahead. So next year is going to bring a number of unbelievable breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, augmented reality, quantum computing, nuclear fusion, robotics, autonomous driving, blockchain tech, genetic editing, software automation, semiconductors, biotechnology, and life scientists. I mean, it's going to be incredible. And I think that stocks will have a very nice turnaround toward the second half of this year. So that leaves us with digital assets, aka crypto. This year saw the collapse or the near collapse of several centralized programs in the space. And so the irony of what happened is not lost on me. Think about it this way. Blockchain technology by design is supposed to be decentralized and trustless, aka we don't need to rely on trust in some centralized party for any transaction. And so What's happened with blockchain and crypto over the past year has been totally caused by centralized collapses. And the trouble began in the spring. A project known as Terra Luna collapsed in May. Terra Luna experienced a bank run that had ripple effects. By June, a huge multi-billion dollar fund called Three Arrows Capital became insolvent. The fund was highly leveraged and badly exposed to Luna. A lot of other assets got caught up in the volatility. Then these ripples and blowups continued. Three Arrows had created its leverage trades by borrowing capital from BlockFi and Gemini. And so those two have had trouble. BlockFi collapsed. And then we had this supposed savior appear. Sam Bankman-Fried, CEO of FTX, agreed to give a $250 million line of credit to BlockFi. And so he also agreed to bail out Voyager, another company on the brink of collapse. He was praised for his actions. and. It looked like stability had returned, but it would not last long. As we know now, FTX and its kind of what I'd call its uh, sister company, Alameda, they were a total house of cards. And the level of mismanagement for the scale of the money that was involved and the level of corruption is truly hard to imagine. They collapsed, declared bankruptcy. And here's the deal, though. FTX or any of these other exchanges, they did not collapse because the Bitcoin blockchain failed to validate a transaction. Three Arrows did implode because the Ethereum network failed to execute a smart contract. All of those apps continue to operate flawlessly. So this is really, really critical for you guys to get. The collapse of these entities, the centralized exchanges, happen for the same reason they've always happened. Irresponsible borrowing, too much leverage, too much risk on too few entities, human incompetence, and at the bottom of it all is greed. And there's no denying that these events had a very tough year for digital assets, but there's lots of reasons to be optimistic looking forward. So for starters, I think this has been a wake-up call for the industry. I'm hopeful that these events will give the industry the consistent and fair regulation that they need, the guidelines that the industry has been asking for over the past several years. And there's also reasons to expect far better conditions if we look back at the history of crypto. This is really critical that you guys get. For almost 14 years, the digital asset market ebbed and flowed around one asset, 
Bitcoin. Bitcoin represented almost 100% of the total digital market asset class in 2013. Now, today that number is 40%, but it's still a, quite a bit. So as Bitcoin goes, so goes the whole market. And in turn, the most important catalysts surrounding Bitcoin are the regular Bitcoin halvings. If you don't know anything about the Bitcoin halvings, guys, this is huge, huge. These halvings refer to how many new Bitcoins are created per block. It takes approximately four years per halving. So that's the rate at which newly minted tokens are created. So you think of this, this is simply a change in supply. That's because the number of new Bitcoin that are going to be created once the Bitcoin halving happens, it drops in half. So half the supply is now entering the market. Now as demand, even if demand just stays the same, we know that that's going to skyrocket the price. But what happens if demand increases? Well, a few episodes ago, I talked to you about the four drivers of Bitcoin demand. And Bitcoin demand is going to continue to soar. So you're going to see, I predict that towards the second half of this year, we're going to see an insane run up in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin has experienced three having events in its lifetime. So let's look back. What happened? Right now, we're about 950 days into the cycle of since the last having, So Bitcoin tends to be the barometer of digital assets, right? If it rises, the rest of the market rises along with it. If it falls, prices tend to follow across all the other individual assets, all the other alternative coins or what they're commonly called altcoins. Now, if this cycle is similar to previous cycles, we have a lot to look forward to for 2023. The last time they have in 2012 and 2016 led to a surge in the price of Bitcoin. Both times, the rally lost steam after about 900 days. But after bottoming, the assets continued higher. So we're at that 900-day mark now. And similar to the previous two cycles, the asset has come down. And then, of course, FTX and all the centralized exchanges continue to put more downward pressure on Bitcoin. But if the previous two cycles hold here, we're going to see some real renewed strength for Bitcoin. And we should also you know, make sure we take a look at the policy of the U.S. Federal Reserve. It will become less restrictive this coming year. And that will absolutely boost both the equity and the digital asset markets. The timing of this is very favorable for digital assets in 2023. The combination of Bitcoin's halving cycle, in addition to liquidity being pumped back into the markets with the Fed dropping their rates, I think that's going to pave the way for the start of a major bull run. The downtrend that we experienced this year is just part of the typical volatility that we often see in an emerging asset class. As the industry matures, we'll see less volatility. We'll see more adoption, more growth. In short, the future is bright for blockchain technology. So I'm bullish on all three asset classes this year. I do believe that the next uh, three, four months are going to continue to be volatile and choppy until we get some very clear direction of where the Federal Reserve is headed. And once we get clarity, and I'm telling you what, the day that the Fed starts lowering rates, you guys, you're going to see an insane pump up in all three markets. When is that going to happen? We don't know for sure. So that's why I'm continuing to just keep buying assets while they're on sale, when I can, when I have excess cash, I'm pumping it into all three asset classes, 
being aggressive, staying in the game because, man, you want to be prepared for when that turnaround happens because when it does, hold on. It's going to be insane. That's a wrap for this episode on the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into your own wealth building strategy, check us out at myindestructiblewealth.com and follow along on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and yes, even TikTok. Send me your questions and your financial challenges, and I promise I'll respond. Also, I'll think you're really awesome if you'll share and leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, remember our mission here is to help you make, keep, and grow wealth you can enjoy now and for years to come.